This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, uh, or as I like to call it, old man ranting. I, uh, you know, it's we do the show on uh, Facebook as well as live on uh, Live Three Sixty Five uh, on the internet, um, and uh, we occasionally have some of it on uh, Twitter for a short time. Yeah. And I always I hate being on camera and I've done TV over the years. I just hate it. And and I'm like looking at looking at the screen this morning and I'm realizing, Jesus, I've gotten old. So for those you of you young people listening in, this is just your grandfather or your father ranting. Uh, so, anyway, uh, lots to get to this morning. Uh, most of it not really on the field of competition last night. We will talk about the Monday night football game in a little bit. Uh, but today is the start of the college basketball season. It gets earlier and earlier. I remember a time when college basketball didn't start till like December 1st. You couldn't even start practicing until November. Now you can practice, you know, early October. It's just crazy. Um, so we'll have college basketball tonight. University of Connecticut will open up tonight against Central Connecticut State University in the annual uh, bloodletting. Uh, it will be ugly. UConn will win by a million. Uh, it, this is to take nothing away from Central Connecticut, but this, it's a big difference in resources, big difference in prestige, in recruiting ability, in budget, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I worked at Central Connecticut for a while. We actually gave UConn a scare one year. I'll never forget it. Um, we were up by four at halftime. This was back when Jim Calhoun was coaching, and we led by four at the half. You could have heard a pin drop in the place, and you would have thought that the that the world was about to end. Now, UConn turned it on, ended up winning the game by 18, but gave them a run, you know. Uh, back when Dave Bike was coaching, and, and I, I did the game on the radio. It was a beautiful thing. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but that is uh, the exception, not the norm. Uh, you, uh, Cent Central has lost all 15 previous meetings to UConn. It will be no different tonight. I think UConn's like a 32-point favorite tonight. That seems a little much, but, you know, be that as it may, uh, UConn won the game last year. I think it was, uh, what, 102-75. to 75, So they won it by, what, uh, 27 last year. And uh, so we'll see. But uh, uh, that game starts at 6.30 tonight, and it's a weird thing. It starts on FS1 for like a half an hour. And then it goes to the Fox Sports app because they have something else starting at 7 o'clock. So if you want to watch the UConn game, you can watch the first half hour on your TV, and then you have to go over to uh, the Fox Sports app to watch it on one of your devices or uh, on your computer. Just uh, kind of weird. Uh, but anyway, um, on this eve of 
college basketball getting started and of course you know the countdown to the NCAA men's basketball tournament which out you know is probably the biggest event in this country outside of the Super Bowl it's bigger than co- the college football national championship it's it's bigger than anything I think outside of the Super Bowl so we'll start counting down to that but what's going to be fun tonight is that kids that are sophomores don't know what it's like to play in front of a crowd in college basketball. Think about this. It was just last year, right, that we were in the middle of the pandemic and uh, they were playing in front of empty seats. Even the NCAA basketball tournament last year was played in front of a, a very small crowd. So these kids don't really know what it's going to be like at Gamble Pavilion at UConn tonight with 10,000 screaming idiots in the stands. It's going to be fun. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a deer in the headlights moments for some of these kids that played on the team last year and didn't play in front of fans. Um so it's uh it's going to be interesting for them. There's no question about it. And, and, you know, there's only four kids, I think, on the UConn team that played in front of fans last year. Or not last year, but have played in front of fans, period. And that was uh, guys that are fifth-year seniors and a couple of juniors, and that's it. Nobody else has played in front of fans, so it's going to be uh, fascinating to watch. And uh, so we'll keep an eye on that tonight. And it looks like we're having uh, video problems, so hang in there. It looks like we've uh, we've had some video problems, but I think we're back. Uh, so anyway, so the the kids that haven't played in front of fans, it's going to be fun, no question. Going to be a lot of fun. But on the eve of this NCAA basketball season starting, the NCAA announced yesterday that they have come up with a new uh, constitution, I guess is what you want to call it. They're rewriting the rules governing college athletics. And what they're doing is trying to take the emphasis away from the NCAA, the main uh, group in Salt Lake City, or Salt Lake City, Jesus, in Indianapolis, Indiana. And putting the onus for legislation and compliance and everything else on the individual divisions, divisions one, two, and three, as well as the conferences, giving more power to the individual uh, levels of competition and the conferences. I think that's a good move. You know, I don't know. The, the thing is, is that when we talk about the NCAA and we talk about the, the kids make being able to profit off their name, image, and likeness and all those kinds of things, the issue is really a Division One issue. And so that's, I think, I think what's been hard for people to figure out is that, you know, the kids playing at Wesleyan University, right, down the street here in Middletown, they're not affected by what is going on 
with the NCAA because it's a Division three school. There are no scholarships. Um, you know, it's, it's small-time college athletics. It's kids playing college sports for the love of the game, right? It's not about money. It's not about name, image, and likeness. It's simply about the love of sports. And so that's what, you know, so to, to, to talk about all this stuff going on in the NCAA, it really doesn't apply for the majority of the schools in the NCAA. Let's, to put it in perspective, there are 1,100 NCAA schools. 1,100. Only 350 of those are in Division One, so about a third of the schools that compete in the NCAA don't play. You know, are only those are only a third of them are Division One, the major universities. There are five hundred thousand athletes playing college sports. The majority of them are playing at the Division Two and Division Three level. Division two can still give scholarships, but it's uh, you know they give they give fewer, uh, you know it's it's and the stakes are lower. The kids at Division three they're there because they want to go to college, and sports is kind of a nice thing to have as part of your college experience. And then the problem is is then within Division one, you have a division there of those three hundred and fifty schools that play. Division One sports. Probably about half of those are what you would call, uh, I hate the term big time, but what you would call the heavy hitters. For instance, a school like UConn with a budget, an annual budget of probably $100 million dollars is playing Central Connecticut State University in basketball tonight that probably has an annual budget of about $5 million. It's, it's, it's apples and oranges, and yet the rules in Division One are geared so that everybody is treated equally. And the problem is, is that they're not equal. Not even on their best day are they equal. Can they be equal in certain sports? Absolutely. But when you're talking NCAA football, men's basketball, women's basketball, it is apples and oranges. Can they compete in soccer against each other? Absolutely. Can they compete in baseball? Yes. Can they compete in hockey? Yes, we've seen it. Quinnipiac, a small school here in the state of Connecticut, you know, uh, got to the national championship in, in ice hockey. We've seen it. Yes, that can happen. It ain't happening in Division One football, folks. It ain't happening in NCAA men's basketball. You are never going to see Central Connecticut State University or Sacred Heart University or Yale or Quinnipiac or Hartford or any of the other Division I schools here in the state of Connecticut, URI, you are never going to see the University of Rhode Island playing for a national championship in basketball, ever. 
it's 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 a different landscape. It it it, they, it is not a level playing field. So to have the NCAA legislating Division One as if everybody is equal is ludicrous. In Division Three, everybody is on a level playing field. Yes, there's still some division in budget, but it's not like one school spending $50 million and the other spending a million. The gaps in spending at the Division II and the Division Three level are much lower. One of the reasons why UConn will always beat the crap out of anybody in this state or in New England, by and large, uh, is because of budget because their facilities are going to be better, because they have a higher budget, they can go out and they can recruit more, uh, they have more things that, uh, ancillary things around their program that they can create to make coming to that university more attractive. I worked in Division One for quite some time, a dozen years, but I worked at the lower level Division One, I. I worked at Central Connecticut. I worked at Sacred Heart. The teams, uh, the schools that have those small budgets. And it's not Division Three. Don't get me wrong. These kids are still high-level athletes. They still get uh, an athletic scholarship. They get perks that kids in the Division Two and Division Three levels don't get. But it is nowhere near what schools like, uh, you know, Boston College and UConn and Michigan and Duke and Kentucky do for their athletes. It's not even close. And yes, can they pull the occasional upset? Yes, I'll never forget, you know, Central Connecticut. I'm there. We, we beat Providence College. A rarity. It was what they call a guarantee game. Providence College paid us to come there to play basketball. Providence College paid us to come in and lose. And, you know, they pay, I think they paid us 25 or 30 grand. Guess what? Beat them. But that is a rarity. So it's not a level playing field. So what the NCAA is doing now is trying to figure out a way so that Division Two and Division Three kind of legislate themselves. So they'll have a separate committee for Division Two, one for Division Three, and it'll be self-governing. We won't be trying to, sit, to use the same rules uh, for the big-time schools as we are for little schools like Western New England University up here in Springfield, Mass., or Wesleyan down the street here, or Rhode Island College, or Roger Williams, or, you know, uh, you know Gordon College. You know, pick whatever little school you want to pick. It won't be the same, you know, trying to use the same rules. It doesn't mean that, that eligibility academics-wise is going to be that much different, but the way that some of the rules are just, you know, they're trying to – some of the rules that they try to – that trickle down really don't apply. The question then becomes, and this is what they are going to have to wrestle with, because they realized when they were rewriting this that the problems that they really have aren't with the smaller schools. It's with in Division One, those 350 schools. And should there be – a separation of those Division One schools. You know, we used to have, if you remember, before there was the college bowl division and then the college subdivision. It was for football. It was it was Division One and Division One AA. Well, I I think there should be a Division One AA across the board, and and it it probably should be budget driven. It's the only way you're going to have 
apples to apples, oranges to oranges. The problem becomes is when you have the small schools, and it's and, and, and this is the problem. It's a prestigious thing for a school like Central Connecticut or you know Sacred Heart to play the big time schools. I mean, I got to go to some great schools and and watch us get our asses kicked uh, by at, at some great places. And it's about the experience of being able to go to the big time and, and for these kids to be able to to experience the big time, even though you're getting your ass kicked. You know, before the game starts, everybody's got a chance. Remember the year Appalachian State beat University of Michigan in, in football? Oh, my God. You know, and those things happen occasionally, and that's why those kids want that opportunity. So I don't know how easy it's going to be to separate that, but I think the idea is a good one. You know, and the other problem is, is that the NCAA has become an entity unto itself, and it is way top-heavy. There are way too many people working at the NCAA trying to tell 500,000 college athletes what they should or should not be doing. I think a lot of this control should be at the conference level or at the division level, which is what they're talking about. You know, and then there's a whole other subset of people that think college football should be split off from the NCAA completely. I don't know that I completely agree with that. I get the sentiment. But, you know, at the end of the day, folks, this is about one thing and one thing only, and that's money. All the problems that we have in college athletics are about money or about schools making a buttload of money, the kids never having an opportunity to even get paid to endorse a product or endorse a business or uh, to get paid if their name is on a video game or if their name is on a poster. You know, they should have that opportunity. Absolutely. If the schools are going to make money off it, the kids should have an opportunity to make money off it. I, to, I will, to my dying day, and I've said this a million times, kids should never get paid to play in college. Period. It's not a job. You are getting a college education. Whether you want to take advantage of that college education or not is up to you. But you are being given, and in many cases, a $50,000 plus a year scholarship for for your tuition, your room, your board, everything. Your, kids at the Division One level, folks, are given clothing. I still have, you know, parkas that I was given, you know, when I worked at Central Connecticut and Sacred Heart and 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 sweatsuits and shirts and you I mean they so to my dying day I will say say to you you're being given an education. If you choose not to use that, that's up to you. Cuz there are some that are going to go play pros in the pros, but that's less than 1% of all kids that play college sports. Less than 1% that play college athletics go on to get paid to do it professionally. Less than 1%. So if you are part of that other 99% of Division I college athletes that don't go pro and you aren't taking advantage of that college education that you might be given for free, that's your problem. You are getting something back for your service to the university by playing sports. You absolutely are. Ask one of my daughters if they would love to, to you know, ask my, my youngest daughter, uh, who paid, you know, between college, her undergrad and her graduate school, uh, about $250,000. Ask her if she would like to have been able to get that for free. And all she would have had to do is play softball for four years. Ask her if she would like to have done that. She would have signed up for that tomorrow. So, you know, so I, I, I think the, the name image likeness thing, great idea. 
you know, give the kids a chance to earn some some extra money on the side. But you know, and it's the be- it's only the, the the really high profile kids that are going to get that anyway. But I, it's still the school's going to benefit. The kids should be able to benefit, but they should never get paid. Sorry. So it's a start, and you know we'll see how it, it shakes out. But it's a start, and I think it's a move in the right direction. If we can take it away from a central location, and allow the divi- different divisions and the different conferences to have more control over the way their sports and their athletics in general are legislated, I think the better off we are going to be. Okay, end of rant. Oh, I got one other rant. It's not really a rant. So, uh, Aaron Rodgers is pissed. (laughs) He's pissed and he's dismayed. He does not understand why everybody is so angry at him. He said that that, uh, he doesn't understand about the backlash with the lying about being vaccinated. You know, he's very upset. You know, he he did an interview... Uh, with, uh, I think it was People Magazine. You know, and then he, because w- he went on this Pat McAfee show and said all kinds of stupid-ass things, you know, and he said he knew some people would disagree with him, but he didn't know it was going to become a, 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 a you-know-what storm. And he said that uh, p- he thought people that he thought were his friends were turning on him. Dude, you lied. You lied. You did not follow all the protocols. He did follow some, but, you know, he was he went to a, a Halloween party, a huge Halloween party without wearing a mask. He was in close proximity to a whole bunch of people. He, he gives all his interviews inside. Nobody's wearing a mask. You know, these are all things that, you know, if you're not vaccinated, you should you shouldn't be doing these things. And so he the fact that he can't understand I mean, come on, you know, and he's trying to blame the woke mob and the cancel culture. This isn't about the woke mob. OK, I mean, I get that. That's a that's, you know, a term that everybody gets. And I get that. There's a lot of things now that all of a sudden people have seen the light. Now, you know, there's so many things that 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 are wrong, that weren't wrong long ago. And if somebody makes a mistake, we're going to cancel them all. That's not what this is, Aaron Rodgers. This is about a simple fact that you lied that you went on national television, you went into press conferences, and you went to your teammates, and you told them all you were vaccinated. So the fact that you're pissed off and you don't understand why people are mad at you, well, that tells me that you have the intelligence of pocket lint because if you're lying to people and you can't understand why they're pissed, there's something wrong with you. Hey, come on. You know, this is the same guy that, you know, went after his team in the offseason, wasn't sure he was going to resign, said all kinds of bad things about the, the people running the team. And, yeah, I mean, what a dope. I've lost a lot of respect for Aaron Rodgers. doesn't mean he's not a talented quarterback, but I have lost a lot of respect for Aaron Rodgers, not just about the fact that he lied. I'm pissed about that to begin with, but about how he's handling this. He's handling this like a little child can't understand why people are upset with him really good lord it's 29 minutes past here we're gonna take a break back in a minute you're listening to the wake-up call on sports country it's 31 minutes past the hour welcome back to the wake-up call here on a tuesday morning i think we've got our video uh, problem solved on facebook had some problems with it going in and out this morning we seem to be all right um 
By the way, that's going to be a challenge uh, as we get ready to make our move down to North Carolina. I'm I'm moving um, uh, to the sticks. I'm moving to the mountains. Um, there is no fiber uh, optic uh, internet available where I am moving. Um, it, it's it's pretty close to uh, a uh, a tin can and a string. Uh, so I'm not sure. I, I'm. It's gonna. I'm. I'm not sure how easy it's going to be to continue our show. We're gonna do our best. Uh, we're gonna. Uh, if I have to, we'll use my phone as a hotspot. We're, we're gonna figure it out. I just don't know uh, how well it's gonna work going down there, especially the video part of it. I think the audio uh, on Live 365, we may be okay. The Facebook thing, we're gonna. It's gonna be an experiment. So we'll see. So uh, we'll we'll find out in a couple of weeks. But it should be. Uh, it should be interesting. When we, I was just down there a few days ago, and we went out to the, where the new house is, and I was checking my cell phone coverage. It wasn't great. It was all right, but it wasn't great. And uh, then I, I did some searching and uh, to look what was available for internet out there, and it's, uh, it's rough. Uh, the best I may be able to do is DSL, and that's if I can get it. Uh, d- believe it or not, the DSL out there, they only have so many slots available. I guess their capacity is only so much, and there's a waiting list to get on it. So I, I don't know. So we'll see. We'll see. But you got me for now anyway. Uh, the Monday Night Football game last night, more entertaining than I thought it was going to be. Uh, the Steelers survive. They beat the Chicago Bears 29-27, to uh, despite the fact that the Bears actually uh, put up more total yards. The Bears had over 400 yards of offense last night. It took Justin Fields a while to wake up, but when he did, uh, had a great fourth quarter. Chicago ends up uh, scoring 21 points in the fourth. They actually had a lead, and then Ben, ben Roethlisberger, uh, seven-play, 52-yard drive. Chris Boswell, a 40-yard field goal with 26 seconds left. Chicago had one more gasp. They tried a 65-yard field goal on the final play, and uh, – uh, it fell about uh, probably about eight yards short, but uh, it was right down the middle, but it was about eight yards short. Um, but th- the one thing they took away from this game last night, and this has been kind of a controversy all year, these new taunting rules that the NFL has and that they are uh, kind of cracking down on this year. There was a play late in this game in the fourth quarter where the Bears made a stop. And uh, a, a linebacker, a guy who had just been activated for the Bears by the name of Cassius Marsh, sacks Ben Roethlisberger on third down. So the Bears are, or so the Steelers are going to have to punt the football. Well, Marsh got flagged for taunting. Now, when you look at it, he got up and he celebrated. It didn't look like anything. You know, how many times do we see guys getting up and, you know, doing a little dance after they do a sack? Marsh didn't even do that. But the referee was uh, Tony Corrente. He said, well, he said, I, he said, after he made the big play, I saw him run towards the bench area of the Steelers and posture in a way that I felt he was taunting them. So this was all a subjective thing. He said, well, I, you know, he, he gestured in such a way I thought he was taunting. If you watch the play, it's crap. I mean, it was a total crap call. The, and the worst part about this is, because of that, the Steeler drive continued, and they ended up getting a field goal out of it. So they, they end up taking a 26-20 to 20 lead with 250 left. Now think about this. If they don't get flagged for the taunting, and the Bears get that back and they score, 
They lead 27-23, and then the Steelers need a touchdown at the end of the game, not that 40-yard field goal from Chris Boswell. So you can make the point, and I'm sure Bear fans are all over the place this morning, that without that taunting call, they don't lose that game. So, you know, and, you know, the NFL has been, there's been some controversial calls with that taunting thing already this year, and they have said we have no plans to change it. And the NFL for a long time has been known as the no fun league. You know, and they're going to call somebody for taunting when, you know, he makes a big play and he looks towards the other team's bench. And by the way, he had been in training camp with the Steelers and had been cut. So I'm sure maybe he had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, but it looked completely innocuous. And his teammates, by the way, stuck up for him. They all said it was BS. You know. Um, but they'll call that. And yet, when the Tampa Bay Bucks score a touchdown and everybody runs down into the end zone and they all sit on the grass and they all sit there and they, uh, they, sit there and they act like they're rowing a, a boat together, that's okay. That's not taunting or anything like that. That's just a celebration for a touchdown. But if you make a big play and you, you say something or you gesture in the wrong way, they're throwing a flag for that. So that was kind of crap. And uh, that that probably cost the Bears the game. I mean, we don't know. Maybe things would have turned out different. Maybe the Bears would have you know ended up with a field goal instead of a touchdown later. Who knows? But at the end of the day, the Steelers got three points they shouldn't have gotten. They should have been punting the football with, with 252 left. So, yeah, the NFL's got to look at this. They, they've got to. It's just it's crazy. Um, the other thing that became a bit of a controversy, and I'd never th- I, I, I got to be honest, when this happened on Sunday, I didn't think anything of it. Mac Jones has been accused of uh, playing dirty. After he coughed up the football, on Sunday against the Carolina Panthers, he grabbed on to the ankle of Brian Burns in the first quarter of the game and kind of twisted it and tugged at the guy. And Burns ended up getting hurt on the play. After the game, um, Hassan Reddick from the Panthers accused him of being a dirty and said that the you know that the, there should have been a, a penalty. And uh, Matt Rule, the coach of the Panthers, even on the sideline at the time, said there should have been a penalty. And Mac Jones talked about it yesterday, and I've watched the video. I've, I've watched it from three or four different angles. They were all available on social media. There is no doubt that Mac Jones grabbed a hold of the ankle that of Burns's ankle and brought him down with it. And you know, maybe he did twist it a little bit, but as Jones said, he said, Look, he said, I got hit really hard. He said, I didn't know what was going on. He said, I thought Burns had the football. So he said, it's my job to make the tackle. And that was pretty much it. He said, now, of course, then you get up and you see the balls down the field. You realize he didn't have the football. But in my mind, you know, I thought he had the ball. I think that is 100% legitimate. I think this is sour grapes. It's terrible that the guy got hurt. Okay, I, you know, there's no question. But guys get hurt in football. It's it's too bad. But to, to, to tell me that you think that Mac Jones is a dirty player and he purposely did that, baloney. And, and I want to tell you something else. If it hadn't been the New England Patriots, nobody would be bitching about this. But we all know that for years, anything the Patriots do, they're cheaters, they're dirty, yada, 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 yada. 
if the Patriots do anything, there it's it immediately goes from you know zero to sixty in one point one seconds, and the, now all of a sudden Mac Jones is a dirty player. Stop. You know, it's terrible that the guy got hurt, but Mac Jones was not trying to hurt this guy. Come on. You know, come on. This isn't Indomitian Sue who has a history of purposely trying to hurt guys. This is a rookie quarterback who got decked and is just trying to do the right thing and make a tackle. He didn't know. And, and, and by the way, to think that he got decked like that, and in that split second when he gets decked, he's going to say, oh, I'm going to hurt this guy. He hit me, so I'm going to go back and hurt him. There's no way he thought that quickly. So that's just a bunch of garbage. Need to stop. And, of course, the media just feeds into it. And, you know, come on. Because, but, you know, 7 million, you know, talking heads like me, everybody's got to have something to talk about. Everybody's got to have some kind of, you know, hot take and, you know, try to be controversial. He wasn't trying to hurt anybody. Stop. Um. And then there's the Raiders. You know, we we've already what a what a train wreck the Las Vegas Raiders are. Look, the Las Vegas Raiders have been a soap opera for as long as I can remember. You know, with with the Davis family owning the team, Al Davis, who was a loose cannon, is, is the son's not a lot better. You know, we already had the whole John Gruden thing, and then we had what happened a week ago with Henry Ruggs when he was driving drunk and going 156 miles an hour in Nevada and ended up killing a woman and her dog in a like a huge explosion. His blood alcohol level was twice the legal limit. So we already had that. And by the way, if Ruggs is... is uh, if, if, if he's charged, and he will be, he's already being charged with a DUI, but you know he's going to be charged for uh, vehicular homicide. Uh, he's going to get jail time. Well, the Raiders already, you know, released him following that DUI crash. And now, yesterday, they cut Damon Arnett, who was their other first-round pick in 2020. So their first, their two first-round draft picks in that, draft in 2020 rugs and Arnett have now both been cut why did they cut Arnett because Arnett what went on social media holding a gun and threatening to kill somebody he's being sued over a hit and run accident from 2020 by the way so he goes on social media with a gun and threatens to kill somebody. Well, so what? The, what are the Raiders going to do? They had to cut him. I mean, what a zoo the Raiders are! It's embarrassing, not just for the for the NFL, but for the league. I mean, for the uh, for the team. I mean, you know, and if you're the NFL, you got to be going to 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 Mark Davis, the owner, and going, dude. What are you running here? I mean, it's just insane. 
Uh, other news, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. officially uh, cut by the Cleveland Browns yesterday, waived. He can sign with anybody um, or, or can be taken by any NFL team if they want to pay him $7.25 million for the rest of the season. Don't think anybody's going to do that. So he'll clear waivers, and then he'll be free to sign uh, with any team. Of course, the Patriots, everybody's automatically saying the Patriots should sign him. Well, here's the, well the Patriots only have about $2 million under the cap. So unless they're going to make some kind of a cut and drop some salary or get somebody to talk somebody into renegotiating a contract so they have room for Beckham, he's not coming to the Patriots. So, And by the way, why would you want this guy? I mean, this guy was nothing but trouble for the Giants, nothing but trouble for the Browns. He's a malcontent. And you could say, well, you know, Bill Belichick can get him in line, and maybe he could. But look, the Patriots got things going in the right direction right now. I don't think you need to bring in a distraction like Odell Beckham Jr. You know, this is, you know, kind of reminiscent of what they tried to do uh, the last couple of years with Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon. I'm not sure uh, it's the right move for the Patriots. Uh, And Russell Wilson has been cleared to return to football activities for the Seattle Seahawks. So the uh, uh, Seahawks may have their quarterback back for this week. He got hurt in week five against the Rams when he, uh, uh, he had surgery after he, uh, his hand hit the helmet of uh, Aaron Donald. Um, They're one and two without him. So uh, he could return this week. They're going to green Bay. So think about this. Russell Wilson is going to be able to come back and, uh, and, and, and resume football activities. He could play against Green Bay this week. And Aaron Rodgers is eligible to come back as of Saturday if he continues to test negative and is asymptomatic. He could come back w- with one day of practice. So we could have two quarterbacks that have not practiced in a while uh, going against each other on, uh, on Sunday. It is 46 minutes past here. We're going to take one more break. We're back to wrap things up. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. And uh, Major League Baseball announced its uh, finalists. That's what they're calling it, the finalists for the uh, uh, postseason awards. It, it, they're not finalists. <laughs> it's a Finalists in, uh, makes you think that uh, these are the guys that are the finalists and these are the ones that are going to be voted on. No. All, they're not finalists. These are the top three vote-getters. We just don't know which one won it yet. Uh, but <laughs> they've released the top three vote-getters. Uh, the first one that will be announced uh, will be on the 15th, so that's coming up uh, on Monday, and that will be for Rookie of the Year in both the American League and National League. Uh, for the AL, Randy Rosarena, Wander Franco of the Rays, and Luis Garcia of the Astros. I suspect Wander Franco is going to win it. Randy Rosarena should probably win it because he was with the Rays all year. Franco came up later in the year, but he made a huge impact on that team when he came up. I think he will win it. Uh, In the NL, it's a runaway. Jonathan India is going to win this from the Cincinnati Reds. Dylan Carlson from the Cardinals. Trevor Rogers from the Marlins also uh, up for it. But uh, India, uh, a clear winner uh, as far as that goes. Uh, Manager of the year. Uh, Dusty Baker from the Astros, Kevin Cash from the Rays, and Scott Service from the Mariners are the finalists in the American League. Um, you know, that's going to be a tough one. I mean, I, there's a part of me that thinks that, uh, you know, Dusty Baker ought to get it. You know, but we have to remember that this voting took place before the 
playoffs, so it happened at the end of the regular season. I think Scott Service is going to win it, though, and that's because he kept that Mariners team in the hunt right until the last week. Nobody on God's green earth thought the Seattle Mariners were going to be competitive this year, right? And they were in it right up until the end. So I suspect that Service will win this from the Mariners. Uh, The NL, this is a no-brainer. Gabe Kapler from the Giants is going to win this. They won 107 games, you know, and I think most people thought they'd be a 500 team. Craig Council of the Brewers is up for it. Mike Schilt of the Cardinals. And there's a part of me that would like to see Mike Schilt win it uh, simply because he got fired by the Cardinals. (laughs) And I think we've only ever had one other manager who won manager of the year and got fired. And I want to say, was it Joe Girardi? I can't remember. I think it might have been Joe Girardi. But... Regardless, uh, I think that uh, I think Kapler is a, an easy winner for this one. Uh, and then the uh, Cy Young Award, Garrett Cole of the Yankees, Lance Lynn of the White Sox, and Robbie Ray from the Blue Jays. Um, I think, you know, I'll tell you, Lance Lynn had the best numbers of all of them. I think Robbie Ray wins this, which is, which is kind of fascinating when you think that two years ago when Ray was with the Arizona Diamondbacks, he was awful, awful. Signed a a a short term a one year deal with the Blue Jays and found something and he was otherworldly this year. I think he may win it. Uh, Cole and Lynn both got injured late in the year, uh, and again Ray kept the uh, helped keep the Blue Jays in it. I think Robbie Ray might be the winner here uh, in the National League. It's Corbin Burns, Zach Wheeler, and Max Scherzer. I think Max Scherzer. It's a no brainer. Uh, Max Scherzer, who is going to be a uh, Cy Young Award winner uh, who pitches for two teams. He pitched, of course, started the season with the Nationals, finished with the Dodgers, but uh, uh, I think he should be the clear winner. Uh, and then MVP, uh, look, we know Shohei Otani is going to win it in the American League. Yeah, you know, and uh, I still say he shouldn't, and people are telling me I'm nuts, but, you know, look, what he does is special. There's no question, but, you know, his numbers were not special. His number, I mean, he hit a lot of home runs, but he was a 250 hitter. You know, he still struck out a lot. Uh, you know, I, I'm sorry. I just, uh, you know, I, I, you know, and he wasn't on a team that competed. You know, the other two guys up for it in the AL are Vlad, Vlad Jr. and uh, Marcus Simeon. Both those guys from the Blue Jays, both those guys had great seasons, hit over 300, hit a ton of home runs, and kept the Blue Jays in the race. So, but Otani's going to win it because of the, the, the two-way player thing. There's no question. The National League, all three candidates in the National League, none of them were on contenders. Bryce Harper from the Phillies, Juan Soto from the Nationals, and Fernando Tatis from the Padres. Uh, and I hate to say it, and I, I have a hard time rooting for the guy because, you know, uh, uh, just the way he is and his attitude sometimes. But I think Bryce Harper wins it from the uh, Phillies. Um, his numbers were pretty good and Tatis probably is well is probably the best of the three but he's hurt he was hurt too much this year so I think that hurts him so I I I think that uh uh that Bryce Harper will win the MVP in the National League we had a couple of free agent signings yesterday uh Andrew Heaney signs a one-year deal for uh 8.5 million dollars with the Dodgers uh now he split time between the Angels and the Yankees last year and stunk. He was eight and nine with a five eight three ERA. 
when he pitched for the he was better for the Angels. When he pitched for the Yankees, folks, he he made five starts, appeared in uh, twelve games. He was two and two with an ERA of seven point three two, and that, ladies and gentlemen, will get you a one-year contract for eight point five million dollars. Ain't America great? <laughs> uh, just unreal. But that also tells me, you know, that's when you look at this, and you know, I think the Dodgers are going to stockpile a bunch of arms because they are not going to try to retain Clayton Kershaw. They didn't give him a qualifying offer. I think Clayton Kershaw is as good as gone. Where that'll be, I don't know. I think maybe Texas, closer to home. Texas has got a boatload of money to spend. But uh, I think the Dodgers are going to go out and just stockpile a bunch of arms. They're going to keep Max Scherzer. And, uh, and you know, and they have uh, Urias and they have uh, Walker Bueller. And then they can figure it out around those three guys. So I think that's what we're, we're going to see. And, and by the way, this is the other thing. Trevor Bauer uh, had a player option. Uh, he, he opted in. Shocking. Of course, he hasn't been able to pitch for the Dodgers since he uh, got himself in legal trouble uh, on a sexual assault situation and was put on the uh, commissioner's exemplist. I don't know whether he's going to be able to play next year. Uh, everything is still ongoing, so I don't know where that is. But uh, he's so he opted in to for like uh, I don't know thirty million dollars next year. That's pretty good on the exemplist, and you can still opt in. Now, I mean, I don't know what the Dodgers will even do. Let's say that he, he doesn't stay on the exemplist. If you're the Dodgers, do you welcome him back? I mean, I guess if you're paying him the money, you have to. You know, and that's part of it too. If if Bauer does come back, they don't need Kershaw. I don't know. I don't again, I don't know what that if the Dodgers will just tell him to stay home and we'll pay you the thirty mil anyway. I guess they can afford it when you look at their payroll, but still. Uh one other signing, uh the uh the Cardinals have brought back T J McFarlane uh, on a one-year, $2.5 million deal, and uh, he's got some incentives in there as well based on uh, uh, games pitched. But uh, he was really good this year for the Cardinals, 4-1 uh, and one with a 2.56 ERA. So uh, uh, he remains with the St. Louis Cardinals. And the Twins have hired Jace Tingler, the f- manager who was fired from the San Diego Padres. They are bringing him uh, to Minneapolis to be the bench coach for Rocco Baldelli. So uh, Jace Tingler has a job once again. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Hope you have a great day. It's supposed to be a beautiful one here in the Northeast. Temperatures in the mid-60s. Enjoy it because it's probably the last one we're going to see until until the spring. We leave you this morning with some music from Christa Berg. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.